This is the Action Network Podcast. But this one is good. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to the Action Network podcast. I'm Brandon Anderson, joined as always by Raheem Palmer. And we finally made it to week one football. Raheem, me and you have been watching football for the last 11 hours straight, but we made it through. How, how did you do in week one? How are you feeling? You know, it was a little disappointing in Cleveland. They kind of choked it away on the money line. But, I mean, that came in with the plus six. We, we got some real profitable wagers, so I can't complain. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I filed – I'm picking every game on the slate this year, so I was very nervous to see how that was going to go. Finished out 9-5-1 and one so far, plus tomorrow's game. So that's a, a solid start. Although, uh, me with my crazy long shots – I did. I tried a five-way parlay with five my five favorite bets and ended up missing out by Damian Harris fumble at the end of that New England game. Uh, otherwise, I would hit that one. Miami's turnover luck has just been insane uh, <laughs> for years. It just doesn't go away. And then I, I was back with a, a six-way same-game parlay tonight that was hanging on by a thread, and then that last Ram score knocked it away. So. You know, this is this is how parlays go: five way and six way. You miss by one, doesn't matter. You miss the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I love my parlays. On our Friday episode from now on, I will be giving you guys an all day parlay so that we can ride together on a parlay every week, and we will hit some of these. I'm sure of it. Uh, but today we are going to run through the entire Sunday slate. So we'll just go start to finish, go through every game here with a betting recap and takeaways from every game, everything you need to know about what happened if you missed them. And then we'll preview Monday night football and finish with our week two hot read as we look ahead to next week and get some early winners for you. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you download our award-winning app from the Action Network. You can track all of my bets and Raheem's there. You get real-time notifications. As we will talk about later on, it's important to get those and get our bets in as we tell you, not when you wait and play them later in the week. So that that costs a couple of covers on some of these plays today. We'll get back to that, but make sure to get the app. Honestly, just as a sports fan, it's a great app just to be able to follow the picks, follow the sports, get the stats. It's, it's all in one place. So uh, check that out. For today, as always, our odds come from BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. So let's set the stage. Today was a day for the underdogs. So underdogs on the day on 14 games, underdogs went 10 and four against the spread today, and they went eight and six outright, including five of those eight wins came on the road and really the Saints also, you know, as, as a neutral site game. So it was a big day for underdogs, none bigger, though, than the Buffalo Bills. So let's start there at the top of the day. The Bills were six and a half point favorites. They lost to the Steelers 23 to 16. So we went under on that one and the Steelers cashed a big money line plus 240 if you played that one. So Raheem, what do you make of the Steelers and Bills? Did you see this one coming? I thought it was interesting because, you know, these two teams played last year towards the end of the year. And Buffalo was laying three points. So for 
Buffalo would be laying six and a half. It felt kind of weird. You saw sharp money actually hit the Steelers and push this line down a little bit. Buffalo came out hot and, you know, it looked like they were they were just going to, you know, pick up where they left off last year. And then Pittsburgh's defense kind of held them down and Pittsburgh went out there and scored 20 straight points. Josh Allen looks like he's he regressed. I mean, he had a 0.08 negative EPA, which is expected points added. Um, If you look at their game last year, he was a positive EPA. He was 0.12. He had a total EPA for the game at at 6.4. Yesterday, he had a a total EPA of minus 5.8. Buffalo is like, they're typically one of the most pass-happy teams on first down in the league. On early passes in this game, they had an EPA of negative 1.0. So it's just like, the things that they did well last year, they didn't do well. Josh Allen struggled with deep ball accuracy. So I just thought it was a really interesting game. You saw that the Steelers defense is really for real. Yeah, I mean, we know the Steelers defense was going to show up. And I do worry a little bit about the things you said that we, we suspected we might see some regression. And, you know, we saw Brian Dable and Josh Allen light up teams last year. And I don't think teams really knew what was coming. Like that now we've had an entire season entire off season that is to prepare for this, to prepare for that aggression early downs. Like you talked about to prepare for that deep ball and, and, you know, Stefan digs down the field. And especially when you're a defense, that's as good as the Steelers is, you know, we, I think we both expect them to take a little bit of a step back this year, but still they're clearly very good and they were ready. They had a plan for it. And yeah, Josh Allen was 30 of 51. That's under 60% completion, which is never a good start. 5.3 yards per attempt. Not good. Josh Allen was, that was really high last year. So that's a huge step back. He had another fumble, which has been a constant theme with him. Here's the thing though. The bills ran 24 more plays. They went eight out of 18 on third downs. Pretty good. So they're moving the ball. They're getting things going. What happened was they went one out of four in the red zone, which will always kill you. And we know that that's a pretty fluky stat. That's hard to predict. They also had that punt block for a touchdown. They lost by a touchdown. So take away the punt block, which is a fluke play, flip some of the red zone stuff. I think you play this game again, even with the regression factors, even with the Steelers playing well, and the Bills are right in it and maybe win a bunch of them. So I don't know that I feel like the sky is falling on Buffalo, but my sky for Buffalo is a little bit lower, I think, than most were thinking anyway. So I don't know. What's your big picture takeaway for Buffalo on this? Are they, are they still one of those top Super Bowl contenders? I think it comes down to Josh Allen. And if he could be that elite quarterback that he was last year, if he can't, then I'm really concerned about this team. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not ready to go too hog wild on the Steelers just yet. Um, the six and a half, that was a lot of points to give Pittsburgh on the road. Mike Tomlin as an underdog has always been very good. So, uh, I can't say I expected the Steelers to pull the upset, but I'm also not completely blindsided by it. Uh, th- it, this had the feel of that early wild card Saturday afternoon weekend game, like the first playoff game. And you're <laughs> like, Oh baby, Buffalo bills back in the playoffs. And then you're watching and it's like, it's halftime and it's seven to three and nothing is happening. That, that early AFC game every time. Just Big Ben looked really washed. And then he made a few throws in the second half. He kind of came through down the stretch. He got warmed up. So I don't know. I, I feel like Buffalo is pretty good. I feel like Pittsburgh is still pretty good. I'm not really ready to go too crazy on either end of it. 
Um, but I, I think, you know, it's a good game. I definitely did not see that as the big upset of the day. I know one game that both of us were very excited to watch and excited to talk about is the Los Angeles Chargers and a Washington football team. Uh, those are two teams. You were very high on both of those going into the season. I was less so in Washington, but both of us were high, I think, on the Chargers. The Chargers yeah. came out with a win 20 to 16. So that was another. Uh, they covered the, the two and got the money line win plus 110. And we hit the under there. So what do you think? The Chargers and Washington, um, you, you've been high on both. What, how, what are you making of this game? The Chargers won a game that they typically would lose in other years. Over the last two seasons, they were 7-16 and 16 straight up in games that got it by one score. Today, they finally got it done. And honestly, it's, a, it's probably a game, when you look at the metrics, that probably shouldn't have been decided by one score. The Chargers made a ton of mistakes. And I want to, for one, they, they fumbled deep in the end zone in Washington territory, which gave Washington a touchback. Um, that play was crazy, by the way. That was like a 20 yard forward pass that we decided as a fumble. Like, what is a fumble anymore? You know, it, it was a fumble, though. I mean, when they yeah. actually zoomed into it, it, like Montez Sweat did actually got hit him it, and it looked like it. a fumble. But it, it looked like on first glance, you're like, what, what is this? Like exactly the way that the Chargers lose yet another game every single season. They're like, oh, here's a new way to lose. But it didn't happen this time. You're right. Yeah. like, it, But I think the big key is that Justin Herbert is a star. I mean, this team, God. they. I'm going to say a star. Like I, I look at him like a superstar in the sense that anytime you go out there and you complete 14 of 18 third downs, and I know the final stat says 14 and 19, but they kneeled on the last third down. Washington is, you know, stopping them on first down and second down. And then on third down, it's third and long, third and seven, third and 25, third and 12. Justin Herbert is just getting the ball out there to Mike Williams and, and Keenan Allen. And, you know, Keenan Allen went out there and had 17 catches for 182 yards. So, as much as I thought highly of this Washington defense, I'm not sure if the secondary is as good as what we thought they were. And they just didn't get a ton of pressure on Herbert in the way that I thought that they would. And yet they still had a chance to win this game because of the mistakes. And ultimately it came down to a Gibson fumble. But I think the question I want to ask you is, are we sure Taylor Henneke is an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so I, I just, I don't think... You know, Fitzpatrick, I was excited about because I loved the the big arm and I loved his fit in, in this offense. I loved the idea of him hooking up deep down the field with Terry McLaurin over and over all season. I think, what did he get? Like 13 yards and he's out. And it sounds like it's, it's not going to be a short thing either. Uh, Washington plays Thursday. I'd be pretty surprised at this point if he's a go for that. And we'll see. We'll see what Taylor Haneke looks like if, you know, if he steps in. He, he looked pretty good last year. He, he was solid in that playoff game for sure. He looked better than a lot of quarterbacks against the Bucks last year in that playoff game. And then, I mean, yeah. even what he did today. I mean, look at what they, he did today. He was 11 to 15, 122 yards, eight yard average, a touchdown. He had a quarterback rating of 119. He actually led them in field goal range. They, they missed the field goal. I just, I mean, he put them in position to win. And, you know, Gibson fumbled it away. And then, obviously, he got the ball into Charger territory. <laughs> They're always going to be the San Diego Chargers. Always will be. He got them into Charger territory, yeah. and he they ended up punting, and they never got the ball back. <laughs> yeah, I will say this, though. Heineke had 119 quarterback rating, but only a 38 QBR. And, like, both of we you know, look, we know both of those numbers are fraught. Like, they only can tell us so much, the all-in-one sort of metrics. 
But the QB rating is high because he completed a lot of passes. He had a touchdown. He didn't turn it over, which is all good. Those are all good things. But QBR, I know at least kind of takes into account game situation. And so like that, that tells me that there's maybe some kind of check down, easy completion sort of thing in there. To me, I think that Fitzpatrick gave Washington's offense a ceiling. Like I thought they could really dial it up and do some stuff. Heineke maybe is going to be a better game manager. Fitzpatrick is a turnover machine and always has been. So maybe for this team, maybe now Washington turns into Denver of the NFC with their defense and more of a Teddy Bridgewater type quarterback. I'm intrigued by that. To me, though, the takeaway on this game is just I'm I was excited about the Chargers. I am in on the Chargers now. Herbert just was so good in this game. The one time I, I opened up my notes, I was watching him put through another dime, just hit someone in the hands. And I opened up my notes to, to make a note about, man, Herbert's ball placement has been so good. And lo and behold, the very next play, as I'm typing that in, he throws an interception in the red zone. Just bad read, tried to, you know, tried to do it too much, overthrew it, interception. And I was like, oh, then what happens? They get the stop, they get the ball back, and he drives them right down and throws a perfect dime touchdown pass. And I just, I loved what I saw from him. I love what I saw from the Chargers. Yeah, they... You mentioned the third down conversion. The Chargers had 29 more plays in this game. They had 27 first downs, only 15. They dominated this game. And it's a little worrisome that they still easily could have lost. But again, like you said, they won. This is the game that the Chargers always lose. They always lose this game. And I think we're all waiting for it, waiting for that other shoe to drop. And they got the win. And if they can start flipping things a little bit in that direction, I think, you know, I I guess I'm very excited now. Cowboys Chargers next week. To me, those are two kind of sleeper teams that had a really good showing this first week. And I'm excited for that that one, just to watch two high-flying offenses. Uh, I think we'll be coming back to that one for a hot read later on. But I'm just excited to see what where both of those teams are going. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I definitely want to see that game. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know you're a Cowboys fan. I know you're also in Philly. So let's talk about Philadelphia and Atlanta. I got this one wrong. I thought that the Falcons had a bit of an advantage here, and they clearly didn't. The, the Eagles dominated. I look at the Eagles and I look at the Falcons, and I've realized that there's a massive disadvantage. And the massive disadvantage is the Falcons' offensive line and the Eagles' defensive line. They, they still got Fletcher Cox. They, he's not an easy guy to block. And if you have... A Falcons offensive line, you lose Alex Mack. His replacement got hurt. It's just you're in a tough position. So I think I was coming into this game feeling like the Eagles could win outright. And we knew that Arthur Smith was going to run the ball early and often. And to me, Matt Ryan couldn't do much. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that the Eagles won 32-6, to six, but I'm not surprised that they won. I mean, Matt, Matt Ryan was under siege all day, three sacks, 28 yards. So I think that's that's the thing that, I noticed. And then we all knew coming into this to this season that the Falcons don't have a ton of talent on defense. Yeah, I, I was excited for what the Falcons might be. I think that my takeaway here is that it's going to take some time. There's just not a lot of talent there. I was excited about Atlanta because of Arthur Smith and what the offense would look like. And I liked it early. The first drive, 72 yards, and then they settled for a field goal. Second drive, 74 yards, and then settled for a field goal. They couldn't convert in the red zone. And then they never made it back. So 72 and 74 on those drives, the next or the rest of the game, 10 more drives, 77 yards total, the entire rest of the game. So 
I don't know if that was because they had the early play scripted or if the Eagles figured something out, but it, it just disappeared entirely. And I think to me, both of the Pennsylvania teams showed that they maybe have a higher floor than we were giving them credit for just with good defense, you know, Philadelphia with their good offensive line right now, while it's healthy, Hertz made a few throws in this game. I, you know, I got to yeah. give him a little credit. Devontae Smith made a nice touchdown. You know, the Eagles could be solid. And especially with Washington, you know, losing Fitzpatrick, with Dallas losing that first game and a couple of key losses. Maybe there's something there with the Eagles. But to me, this was about Arthur Smith. So let's go to Arthur Smith's old team, the Tennessee Titans. And boy, did they miss him. <laughs> the oh, Titans yeah. got blown out off the field, 38-13 to 13 by the Arizona Cardinals who we dumped on the entire preseason. So was this more about the Cardinals or more about the Titans to you? I think this was the Cardinals. I mean, I didn't expect the Cardinals defense to look this legitimate. I mean, Chandler Jones went out there and had five sacks. J.J. Watt was in the backfield, dominated. I mean, through the first half of the game, Derrick Henry had nine yards. I mean, I know you took the Derrick Henry under yards, and I know I wrote an article about why you should fade Derrick Henry this season, but nine yards in the first half, the Titans can't win if that's happening. And the offense for Arizona, I mean, they look really, really, really good. I mean, you got Christian Kirk catching two touchdowns. You got A.J. Green, Rondell Moore, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they look scary. I mean, they look like what we thought they would look like when Cliff Kingsbury came into the league and was supposed to tear, you know, tear the NFL up. And I mean, I know some of that had to do with the Titans, but you got to give a team credit when you dominate the way they did. Yeah, Kyler Murray had a huge game, four touchdown passes and a TD run. I saw at BetMGM, Kyler Murray is now the second favorite to win MVP at plus 900. That's crazy to me. I, I can't recommend you playing that one, but if he keeps one of five touchdowns every week, I guess we'll have to revisit the conversation. But to, to me, this was the other side of the ball that caught my eye. And it's back to the Arthur Smith thing. First of all, the Titans offensive line is in big trouble. And I think that's where Derrick Henry struggled as well to be able to get his yard. He just wasn't getting any holes. There's nothing there. Ryan Tannehill was under pressure all game. The Titans today ran 42 pass plays and Tannehill got sacked six times and they weren't hooking up the deep ball like they usually were under Arthur Smith on 42 pass plays. They netted 162 yards. That's 3.9 net yards per pass play. And that is terrible. And not even anywhere near where they were last last year, last couple of years under Smith. Chandler Jones had five sacks today. That's a season, dude. Like that's yeah. an entire season for a lot of players. JJ Watt was looking good. That front seven in Arizona was absolutely manhandling Tennessee. So that to me, as a Vikings fan, we got to play Arizona next week, and I've seen what our line is doing or not doing. That looks like trouble, and if that defensive front seven can stay that good and Kyler Murray keeps dealing, then this entire division, maybe Arizona is not necessarily the fourth team in the division. This team could really do something there. I got to mention, too, if you played the total on this one, you got a brutal beat because the line was at 54 and at the end of the third quarter, it was 38 to 13. And these teams were just going every direction up and down the field. And then we got to the fourth quarter and got zero points. Absolutely nothing. We just ran the clock out for the final 15 minutes and hit the under by three points on that after we had scored, you know, 51 points the first three quarters, 17 points a quarter, and then just 
sat it out and waited till the end. So if you missed out on that under, my apologies. That is a rough one. Oh, yeah, um, it was absolutely brutal. Let's let's stay in the division with the Titans. Speaking of absolutely brutal, let's just let's just run through the AFC South because my God, this division is awful. <laughs> so let's go to the Colts next. The Colts host of the Seahawks. We've all talked about that one the entire offseason. The Colts started as favorites. The Seahawks closed as a three-point favorite. Seattle kind of just comfortably won this game in a way that is not really very Seattle-like. They just did their thing. It was 28 to 16. They covered easily. We hit the under. What do you make of what Seattle did? Was this a, a, a dominant performance for you? I think it was very reminiscent of what we saw exactly one year ago with Seattle playing the Falcons. I mean, they dominated, they went, in, they went into Atlanta and dominated the Falcons in the same exact fashion. And right after the game, everybody's saying Russell Wilson could win MVP. Um, but I, when I look at this coach team. I mean, we knew coming in that they had problems on the offensive line. And I think one of the things that I'm going to continually stress that like throughout this podcast is that football is one in the trenches. I mean, yep. they, they, they had, had the retirement, Anthony Costanzo, Eric Fisher was fresh off with Achilles injury. He's not playing. Um, Quentin Nelson got hurt. You got Carson Wentz back there and he, he really struggled. I mean, the Colts gave up three sacks. They had 10 quarterback hits. If Seattle was, if this pass rush that they have had in this particular game can translate to other games, I think Seattle was scary because Russell Wilson's going to give you an opportunity to win the game. I mean, Tyler Lockett made one of the greatest catches I've ever seen of all time with the, the pass Russell threw and the adjustment in the air. So I wasn't surprised. And then Xavier Rose didn't play. So it's just, that's too much to overcome. Yeah. We were both all over Seattle on this one. This was such an obvious play that the only reason not to play it was that it was such an obvious play. Like, <laughs> it was such an easy read that I, I was afraid to do too much on it just because it seems so clear, you know, when, when Carson Wentz and offensive line just had really not had any time together before and, you know, then losing roads as well. And I just feel like this is, this is the game that was going to happen. So here's my question to you. I'm going to ask you a trivia question. See if you can come up with, and I have a follow-up. So Carson Wentz was the fifth straight new Colts opening day starter. How many of the last four can you name? And then I want to know which one we think Carson Wentz is closest to. So who, who did we have before Carson? Okay. So before Carson, we had Phillip Rivers. Yep. Before before that, we had Jacoby Brissett. Correct. Before that, we had, um, shoot, what's his name? Um, guy who retired. <laughs> I can't remember his <laughs> yeah, name. Andrew Luck, good. Andrew yes. Luck. And then before that. This is the that rough was, one. This, this is the one I don't know. <laughs> yeah, before that was Scott Tolzien, Wisconsin's own Scott Tolzien. Who oh, started, yeah, I remember that. Started and then it came out midway through the first game and it was just Brissett the rest of the way. So four very different quarterbacks. My question for you, based on what we saw today and what we've known about Carson Wentz, which one of those four right now do we think that Indianapolis is getting? Which one is, is Wentz going to be closest to? I'm not going to put him on a level with Scott Tolzien because I think Scott Tolzien was totally anti-competitive. So I think he's somewhere between Scott Tolzien and Jacoby Brissett. So I got I to gotta stand for my guy a little bit here. I'm a Carson Wentz guy in North Dakota State. I think that he was fine today. I thought I thought it wasn't a Carson problem. He was under pressure a lot, which unfortunately is kind of becoming a theme with him. He definitely holds the ball too long. He's taking some sacks. But Indianapolis, I think that they really just came down to that they didn't convert on the, the important downs. They went 5-13 and 13 on third down. 
They're 0-3 on fourth down, which is basically a turnover, turnover on downs. This game was, I think, not actually so far off. Seattle only had 18 first downs. It never really felt competitive, but looking at the numbers last year, or looking at the numbers after the game, it seems relatively even. You know, Russell Wilson had a big game. He threw four touchdowns. It felt like Seattle dominated the whole way. Given what this division looks like, I'm going to say Wentz could be more like Rivers. And this is the old Rivers. This is the about-to-retire Rivers, not the in-prime one. But I think that Wentz can be fine. He can get his blocking in order. He can deliver the ball. I think that Wentz and this team could still make the playoffs, if only because somebody has to in this division. Because right now, the Houston Texans are leading the AFC South. Oh, Texans man. hosted the Jaguars and they put the beating on them 37 to 21. They covered the three and a half plus 150 on the money line. I played both of those today. We hit the over by a mile. Houston almost covered the over on their own. So is this a Houston thing or is this a Jacksonville thing? I think this is definitely a Jacksonville thing. I mean, we, we both said it on this podcast that we felt that Urban Meyer might be a little bit over his head. I mean, for a team that we expected to be as bad as Houston to go out there and put 37 points on you, I think it says a lot about the quality of this this Jacksonville team. It's rough. Trevor Lawrence, this was his first regular season loss ever as a quarterback. Not Not in the NFL, college and high school. Trevor Lawrence has never lost a regular season game, which is insane. But good news for him, he's going to get a lot of practice at doing that real soon in the NFL. So my question is this. Right now, the Houston Texans are 1-0. Everyone else in the division is 0-1. Who's your pick to win the AFC South right now? You, you win with Tennessee heading into the season. Is that still how you're leaning right now? Somebody's got to win this I division. I don't, trust either. I don't trust any of these defenses at the end of the day. I mean, a lot of people looked at the, the Colts' defense from last year, and I always felt they were a little bit overrated. I mean, they were 22nd in passing success rate on defense last year. So I've seen him get carved up in the same way that Russell carved them um, today. So I'm not really that high on them. And I think their offensive line is really a mess. I still got to, I got to stick. I mean, I can't overreact after week one. I mean, I'm going to stick with Tennessee. I still think they're the best team in this division. Yeah. I think that I'm sticking with Indianapolis for the same reasons of just, well, Nobody looked good anyways, so why move off the position right now? It's not like I'm fearing Houston for any reason now. Um, I was hoping, we talked before about maybe playing the loser of that game, which would be Jacksonville now with their division odds. Well, I needed Indianapolis and Tennessee to win for that to matter because Jacksonville is still tied with them, so it's not really a good spot after all. So maybe just stay away from that division. Keep them off your television. But, you know, bet against them. Well, I think we'll be playing a lot of times against the AFC South you know, in some this season. The Action Network podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. And to celebrate the 2021 NFL season, BetMGM is offering a great sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. You just open an account at BetMGM and make your first deposit. Then make your first bet. If that bet wins, the money is yours. And if your bet doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. To get started, just click on the link in this episode description. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the best features for NFL betting, like live betting and daily odds boosts. 
Plus, BetMGM is compatible with our BetSync technology, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the show. According to the Action Network app, the game that the most of you bet on this week was none other than San Francisco and the Detroit Lions. This thing was a barn burner. I called it Blowout City and it looked the part. San Francisco was up 38 to 10 and suddenly this thing blew wide open. The Lions recovered an onside kick. The Lions recovered three fumbles from the 49ers. They stormed all the way back to 41-33 and then recovered another fumble and had a shot to tie this thing and send it to overtime. It was 41-17 with six minutes left when the Lions got the ball. 41-17, and the Lions almost sent this to overtime. So what looked like a 49ers dominant win ended up not even being a cover. The Lions were nine-point underdogs by the time this thing closed. They lost by eight. So Detroit had one of the early candidates for cover of the year. We obviously hit the over. Both teams nearly hit the over themselves. So is this a bigger statement for Detroit or for San Francisco for you? I think it's definitely a bigger statement for for Detroit. I mean, Dan Campbell came out in his opening press conference and said that they were going to bite some kneecaps. And if you knock us (laughs) down and you're going to need three hits and we're going to bite you. And I think this game was the epitome of that. Um, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last and how successful he's going to be, but I found it encouraging that this team continued to fight for him. Golf started off one for five for 12 yards and in an interception, and then golf ended up with 338 passing yards and three touchdowns. So I just think this is going to be one of those scrappy teams. And I want to shout out to Simon because Simon always says on the favorites podcast, he, he took Detroit and you know, a lot of us didn't see it. It was pretty ugly, but they eventually got it done. So I, I, I think that says something about Detroit. I mean, sometimes these games take on a life of their own and, you know, teams kind of relaxed. And I think that's what that's what the 49ers did. Um, this was their first game back where they had all the guys healthy. I mean, we know that they were one of the top teams in just the games lost last year. So maybe the same focus wasn't there after getting up to such a big lead. And I, I, I think the 49ers are still going to be one of the cream of the crops in the NFC West, but I, I think it said a lot about Detroit. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to go a little bit the other direction on this. To me, this is just kind of a garbage, nothing six minute segment from Detroit. Like good for them for trying good for them for pushing hard for the coach. To me though, this is opportunity. This is going to mean that Detroit is overvalued and that San Francisco is undervalued. And I'm excited about it because Detroit looked terrible for most of this game. For the part that mattered, Detroit looked awful. Their offensive line was pretty good. Panay Suel was doing well in a tough spot. The, the offense was moving the ball. The Lions defense was terrible. The very first play of the, uh, for the game for the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo fumbles the snap. After that, until a little bit into the second half, 
the 49ers got in a scoring position on every single drive after that. that. That's when they went up to 38 to 10. They missed a field goal. They hit a field goal and they got five touchdowns. That's what happened with this defense. Jeff Okuda not having that sophomore breakout start that we thought maybe would start to come around. It, it looks rough. Like this defense with the pass. I mean, he was rough last week. year. Yeah. <laughs> it was rough last year, but it was easy to blame the coaches and whatever else says, yeah, the personnel actually matters too. So I think San Francisco is very good and showed it. I don't really make too much of, of the late, you know, g- giving up that, that late run. They should have put up the gas pedal. I'm excited about my guy, Elijah Mitchell. I gave him out as a possible long shot rookie of the year, 500 to one on our podcast a few weeks ago. Elijah Mitchell had 104 yards and a touchdown today where he mostered is it looks like he's be injured and miss a little time. Trey Sermon was inactive today. The higher rookie pick didn't even make the roster today. So I think Mitchell is going to be the fantasy pickup of the week. He's a good fit. He's a one cut runner. He's going to fit that situation well. And we know they're going to run the ball a lot. So I think Elijah Mitchell, he's not even on the board at a lot of rookie of the year places. You can't even play him. I keep watching him to, to put some more on it. So he sure as heck won't be at 500 to one anymore, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Another thing, unfortunately, we have to keep an eye on for the 49ers. Jason Verrett, I think, is one of the big injuries of week one. He tore his ACL and San Francisco's secondary was already a bit of a weak spot. Like They're already pretty thin at cornerback and Verrett can be really good when he's healthy. He just never stays healthy. So this to me dropped San Francisco from something like eighth to 12th or some, somewhere in there in my defensive rankings. And it's that first domino week one, you know, they're one more cornerback injury away now from, from real trouble there. So that does, you know, that, that does make me a little sad for San Francisco's upside as good as things look today. Um, but it definitely something to keep an eye out. One other thing we have to point out here with this game and our next one, we'll just talk about briefly You've got to get the early lines on these games. We mentioned before the lines covered the closing line of plus nine, but I, I won on the 49ers because I took them early in the week at seven and a half and they won by eight. So mm-hmm. you've got to get that early line. If you were waiting around till Sunday, you are missing all that juicy line movement early in the week. So we're oh, without aiming, a doubt. Yeah. You, I, I mean, I, I think I stress this a lot. I, and I, I think, the markets are a lot sharper than they have been. And we've seen this trend over the last five years where Monday morning, when the lines open up, you have sharp money coming in. You can move the market with like 500 to a thousand dollars now. And basically what these bookmakers are doing is they're letting, they're putting out a number and they're letting the sharpest betters in the market shape their number. And then they're, they're raising their limits through the week. So by the time you get to Sunday, yeah, you can bet 50,000, 100,000, 500,000, a million on a game, but the bookmakers are already com- comfortable with taking that type of action because they've sharpened the number throughout the week. So you want to get that most inefficient line on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. For sure. So the the Jets Panthers was another one where the same problem happened. The Panthers got the win 19 to 14. The Jets came down for a late garbage time touchdown and missed the two-point conversion. And depending on when you played this line, that two-point conversion factored out whether you won or not. The Panthers covered the closing line of three and a half, but the Jets were five and a half earlier in the week. So you didn't even need that two points if you got them then. So uh, I don't have too much else on this game. The Jets were not, you know, they're not good enough right now. I'm I'm high on Robert Sala, but they're just not ready. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I this was a game that I got wrong. I actually thought that the Jets offense would look a lot like what it was in the fourth quarter as opposed to what it was all game. And it's pretty clear that this offense isn't ready yet. I mean, the pass protection was absolutely brutal. And now they may have they may have lost their, their left tackle with a serious knee injury. So I think you going into next week, they're playing a, a Patriots team with a solid defense. I'm not expecting a lot of points. It's 43. That's a game that I can see going under easily. And when it comes to the Panthers, I think they're, they're struggling with the same issues that they had last year. They just struggle inside of the red zone. So this is not a team that's going to put up a lot of points. Darnold proved that he could play well against a bad team, but what's he going to do against the other teams in the division? I mean, he has to play the Saints twice. He has to play the Buccaneers twice. And those are two teams that have shown us that they have some of the best defense in the league. They got two of the best defensive lines. So I'm not really that high on either one of these teams. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it with either one of them. The Jets seem to me like I was excited about what their team might look like because of the coaching upgrades. But today was a reminder that you still got to actually have the players carry out the orders on the field. And there's just not a lot of talent there. So I'm definitely going to have to back off the Jets a little bit from where I was on them. I'm definitely backing off my Minnesota Vikings. I think I think the season's over as a Vikings fan. The sky is falling. The Vikings went to Cincinnati in what should have been one of the easier games on the schedule. And they lost in overtime, 27 to 24. Minnesota's offensive line was shambles in this game. In the first half alone, Minnesota's O-line had five false starts and three holding. They finished the game with 12 penalties for 116 yards and three more declined penalties. And there was 11 different called penalties on the offensive line this game. Minnesota had third and 24, third and 20, third and 24, 15, 10, and 26, all by early in the third quarter. They were just constantly playing behind the eight ball and they shouldn't have been really taking it to overtime. They're lucky to get it there. So to me, I think that this today, I think this is the beginning of the end for the Mike Zimmer and the Kirk Cousins era. Tell me if I'm overreacting. I was actually, I was like, you stole the words out of my mouth. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of felt that way even coming into the season with all the, inf- like, with all the stuff with the COVID situation, you know, and I don't want to judge anybody's right to take the vaccine and whatnot, but I, re- I do remember hearing Zimmer being frustrated about that. This defense was supposed to be better, but Anthony Barr still, you know, he still hasn't played any football. I think that's a big loss for them. You mentioned the offensive line, which is a complete mess. <sighs> I mean, they had 70 of the team's 116 penalty yards. I mean, they just got pushed around. It's just, for me, I think this was this was a team in which sharp money actually came on, on, on over. So to see them go into Cincinnati and put up this type of performance against a team that's really not that good, that doesn't have a good offensive line, I, I think they're in trouble. They are in trouble because if you look at the schedule, the next few weeks, uh, you know, the Cardinals are up next. They suddenly look like really a tough opponent, especially with the way that front seven is playing against this line. Seattle's after that. Minnesota never plays Seattle well, and Russell Wilson tends to shred the defense. And later in the year, there's a really tough month. This is this is the easy stretch. Minnesota needed a, a hot start, and this was one of the games they had to win. So I think that this is this really puts the Vikings behind the eight ball. There's a lot of talent here, certainly enough to overcome things. But this is, you know, this to me is one of the more damaging wins to a playoff hopeful team that we had today. 
teams like the Bills that lost, like, okay, well, you lost to a good team. This is just a bad loss, a very bad loss that the Vikings shouldn't have done. Uh, We wrapped up the early afternoon. We're going to get to the late afternoon. Cleveland and Kansas City was the game we were all excited about, the game of the day. I think it lived up to the billing. The Chiefs ended up winning 33-29. to We hit the over. The Browns did cover the five, but could not quite hang on to get the money line win. I know you were big on Cleveland this week. What did you make of this game? I think it was one of the more frustrating games and it's a, it's a Pete Brown's performance. I mean, in terms of how to blow a game, I mean, they absolutely dominated. They have more first downs. I mean, they had 8.2 yards per play compared to the Chiefs' 6.5 yards per play. They had 304 passing yards. I mean, they ran all over the chiefs, 153 rushing yards, 5.9 yards per rush. I mean, they did everything that you could possibly do in order to beat Kansas City. I mean, they came out, Kevin Stefanski called it an incredible game. I mean, going forward on fourth down, even scoring a touchdown, the opening touchdown, and going for two. I mean, and putting the pressure on Kansas City, going up 14-3. I mean, you can't play as – you can't expect the team to play as well as the Browns did and, and lose. And I think it all came to game down to the Nick Chubb fumble – and after the Nick Chubb fumble, you know, Kansas City scored. The Browns finally get stopped and then the black punt. And I, th- I just think that changed the game and the momentum was completely lost. So I think the Browns are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I think you mentioned this on the last episode that you wanted to bet the loser of this game yep. to win the Super Bowl. So are you still is that something that you still want to do? Yeah, I feel good about it. To me, to me, these are just two good teams that played a good game and one team won and one team lost. Like, this is not the sky is falling. I joked on Twitter about the Browns are really Brownsing it again because that punter fumbled the snap and they gave up the long Tyreek touchdown. It looked like there was the disaster play where they, they tried to down the punt and then Cleveland tried to pick it up and Kansas City thought they had a touchdown. That's just a good play by Cleveland. That, that's the right play to do there. The Browns are not brownsing things up. This is a good team. 8.2 yards of play is good. It's great. Baker Mayfield averaged 11 and a half yards per attempt. He was firing up downfield. I know he had the game interception. He's trying to throw the ball away. That wasn't a bad read. He was under pressure. You're trying to do something. You go for the win. The Browns have now in 17 consecutive season openers, they have gone without a win. 17 years. The last time Cleveland one its season opener was 2004, which featured Jeff Garcia taking down Kyle Bowler and the Baltimore Ravens. That's how long it's been, but I'm not afraid. Cleveland looked good. This to me looked like, oh, here are the two best teams in the AFC. We went head to head. The Browns looked like they should have won. It was on the road. Kansas City's fans, I think, played a huge role in, in you know, getting Baker and, and the Cleveland off their game a little bit. It's a good matchup. It's two teams that are very good. If they played again, I would like Bal- or Cleveland's chances again. It's just two teams that are going to be there, I think, when things matter in the end. So uh, I will say this, nothing in sports, is, is there a better bet in football or in any sport right now than when Patrick Mahomes gets behind and you can bet Mahomes at plus money on the money line? That's an, an absolute auto bet for me. Anytime I get the chance, and I will say this, I did the same thing with Aaron Rodgers today. It didn't work out for me. 
I did the same thing with Djokovic today. It didn't work out for me, but I am willing to let, let my amazing talent guys get behind. And Mahomes has won me so much money. The instant that he falls behind by like 10 points, automatic bet. I mean, I mean, this is a guy who was, I mean, if you include today, he's 39 and eight in the regular season since taking over as quarterback of the Chiefs. I mean, you can't lose betting with this guy unless you bet him in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think his total record, I mean, <laughs> since he became the starter. And then I, I think good. We're, we're neglecting to mention how good Andy Reid is in week one yep. and, and coming off a of bye. So <laughs> I do think the one trend that, you know, continues to cover is the loser of the Super Bowl was four. I mean, if you include today, that they're four and 18 in the last 20 openers in the following season. So if you can, wow. if you just think about next year and you want to bet week one, just figure out who's the loser of the Super Bowl <laughs> and just fade them because the Browns even covered this. They, I think they clo- they covered the closing line at four and a half yeah, as well. Yeah. There you go. We're, we're hot reading all the way to next season. We already got you one win for week one next year. That's how ready we are. But speaking of quarterbacks that I bet on that did not come through, Aaron Rodgers, not his finest day. Aaron Rodgers finished the game on the sidelines watching Jordan Love. So at least the Packers are getting ready for their transition. This is not exactly the start of the last dance that I think Green Bay fans were hoping for. New Orleans destroyed Green Bay, 38-3, to obviously covering the spread, getting the plus-160 money line. This game didn't you know, hit the under because the Packers just never showed up on offense. They barely even had the ball. Aaron Rodgers got the ball back with a minute seven left in the first half. Green Bay had, had two possessions in the entire game at that point. The Saints were just running the ball, controlling the clock, doing the exact thing that we know has happened with Green Bay in the past. Last year, Green Bay lost 38 to 10 to Tampa in the regular season. The year before, they lost 37 to 8 to San Francisco. They seem to have one of these games where the script doesn't work out right. They give up a lot of runs and it just never happens and it just gets completely out of hand. So is this another of those games or is this that Packers regression we've been waiting for? I think it was one of those games. I, I actually, I think it was a little both. I mean, I've read an interesting stat after the game, and I didn't realize it before. But apparently, the Packers have—they really have struggled in the state of Florida. I mean, since Aaron Rodgers became the starting quarterback in 2008, he has a career record of three and four, and he has just a 78.1 passer rating inside of the Sunshine State. We all remember that Buccaneers game from last year where they got completely dominated, and this was very reminiscent of that. But I think. Some of it has to come with, I mean, this team didn't have, it felt like they didn't have a lot of continuity. Um, you got two new starters on the offensive line. Obviously, David Bakhtiari, he tore his Achilles last year. Obviously, you lose Corey Lindsley. And you got two rookies on the offensive line against a solid defensive line with Cameron Jordan. And they just put pressure on Aaron Rodgers all day. And, you know, there was, a, I think, the drive coming out of halftime. And, I think the Packers are down 17 to three and they have a chance to cut it to a one possession game. And Aaron Rodgers is so focused on the pressure that he steps up to make the throw and he makes the jump throw and it's off target. I mean, Devontae Adams was wide open. He catches that. He's probably going into the end zone. He's getting the first down and instead it's an interception. And from there on the game's over. But I think I think the, I mean, the Packers really haven't addressed their issues on the defensive line. I mean, it, it just felt like the Saints ran the ball over, all over them. I mean, they had 171 rushing yards, 4.4 yards per rush. And 
I mean, from then on, it, it was just the biggest thing I take away from this is that the Saints are going to challenge that division. And huh. I look at James Winston almost similar to Brett Favre. I mean, I don't know if everybody remembers okay. Brett. Come on. No, hear me now. out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I don't know if everybody remembers Brett Favre in Atlanta, but he didn't have his act together. And I think that's the same thing that we saw with James Winston in, in, in Tampa Bay. James Winston, he got his LASIK surgery. He, he was playing under a coach that probably didn't really fit him with the risk it, no biscuit style. And I think he has a coach in Sean Payton who could really change his career. I mean, I know they had the ball. They played a ball dominant style today, but I think he's a guy who really can totally re- revitalize his career. And I'm interested in seeing some of those numbers on Jameis winning comeback player of the year. I know Dak is the favorite, but I think he might have a shot. Well, what about MVP? Because I saw Jameis is up to 25 to one at BetMGM. Are you willing to take the long shot before the odds drop further on Jameis Winston NFL MVP? I'm not willing to go that far. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not willing to go that far, but I do do think this is very similar to, you know, Brett Favre leaving Atlanta and how he could change his career. I I see the scenario. I'm not going to overreact on the Saints here. I think that maybe I'm underrating their floor a little bit. Definitely with their run game, the line, the defense, the coaching, they're going to be in all these games. I'm not quite ready to put them in the division race yet. Jameis had five touchdowns, but he was 14 of 20 for 148 yards. So this is not like, oh, Jameis just showed up and lit up the Packers defense. He just scored the touchdowns. Like that matters, but I'm not going to take too much away from that. Do not put your money in at 25 to one to win MVP. <laughs> Don't do that, it. That line is begging you to be like, oh no, I better get my money in before it drops even lower. It's a trap. Don't do it. Just stay away. I'm not going to overreact to the Packers here. It, this is, this reminded me of those other two games. I remember watching those, even though Green Bay ended up getting run off the field, they were never quite as bad as the final score looked. And that's how I feel about this game. Green Bay drove right near the end of the half. I bet on Rodgers and the Packers uh, right as they got the ball back at 107. They drove down the field. And in a lot of games, they get one more pass and punch it into the end zone. In this one, they settle for a field goal, 17 to three. So that was a missed opportunity. They come out right after the half and they could drive right down the field. And Aaron Rodgers throws a red zone interception, which has to be the first time he's done that like in in years, literally. Like this dude throws like five interceptions the entire season and he threw that one. And then the very next possession threw another one. So literally Rodgers threw like half of his season interceptions in back-to-back possessions today. So uh, late in the game, even the Packers were still kind of hanging around. They made a big defensive play. And then Zadarius Smith got a big play and they called a penalty for playing football, I guess. Like he did like... they, they should put that as like an instructional video of how to blitz the quarterback and tackle properly. And then they gave a 15 yard penalty because it's, it's what we do now in 2021. So I'm not worried too much about the Packers. This is one of those games. It got away. Uh, they'll be fine. The division is awful. So Green Bay is going to run away with the division. The Packers will be fine. This definitely hurts, you know, in the win standings as you're trying to get a one seed later on in the year. A loss matters but I'm not too worried about them big picture. Um, Let's hit just these last few games more quickly to wrap up here. Not a ton of interesting things here. The Broncos went to New York and took care of the Giants 27 to 13. Broncos covered and got the under there by a point and a half, even as that one dropped all week. We were both high on Denver. They seem like they had this all the way. Did, Did you feel good about what you saw from them? 
Oh yeah, I, I think they're they're going to be one of those those playoff teams who you can bet on on against bad teams. But I I don't think I think they're going to struggle against some of the better teams in this league. I think the Chargers are obviously better. I I, I think Bridgewater is just a, a perfectly capable mediocre quarterback who he's not going to lose you the game, but he's not going to add that level of variance that you you need in order to beat some of the elite teams. So. I, I was kind of impressed with their victory, but I mean, I kind of was. I mean, the second half was dominant, but I mean, the Giants were in this for about a half, and yeah, they were. But Denver lost a fumble in the red zone. They they had a drop touchdown where they hit the receiver in the hands, and like this could have gotten away pretty easily. So I think that's just really why New York sort of looked like they hung around. I am worried about Jerry Judy. He's got that high ankle sprain. It looked rough. Like he he was definitely in some pain. And he he was lighting up this game. His routes in this game, he was just putting in, and the Giants have good corners, and he was putting those guys in jail just all over the field. So he would be a big loss. Denver was really starting to look good with their weapons out there. So I agree. Yeah. I think this is this is a high floor team that doesn't really have the ceiling. The Chargers have a much higher ceiling without a doubt, and some of the other teams clearly do. But Denver's defense looked good. Teddy's going to keep them in games. A couple other teams that fit that style a little bit, Miami and New England, our last regular afternoon game of the day. This is one I missed on. I had New England and Miami covered and got the win, uh, the plus 155 to the money line. They won it 17 to 16. So what did you think about this one? Did you feel like Miami deserved the win or how did, how did you process the takeaway here? It just felt neck and neck the whole way. And I just kind of kept waiting for somebody to make a play. It felt like Miami made the play. And Obviously, I mean, the one thing that stands out to me for the day, if there's a theme, is that rookie quarterbacks are bad. (laughs) I mean, we all wanted to see Justin Fields later, but for the most part, I mean, none of the rookie quarterbacks really were impressive. So, yeah, I both of us were very low on Miami, so it definitely stings a little bit to see Miami get this first division win. But I really feel pretty good about what New England did here. New England had 393 yards to only 259 for Miami. They had eight more first downs. They ran 18 more plays. Time of possession was 37 to 23 in New England's favor. That all stacks up to be what should be a comfortable win. Unfortunately, New England had two fumbles, including late in the game. Damian Harris had that killer fumble that broke my parlay. Otherwise, they're in the red zone. They're at least going to get a field goal there and take the lead. Uh, Miami scored two touchdowns. And it was the first drive of each half that worries me a little bit because it makes me feel like that's the scripted drive. That's the one they've been practicing those plays all week. And then they got that good for them. But then what about the whole rest of the half? What happened there? So I'm not ready to panic quite yet on new England. And I'm Mm -hmm. definitely not ready to believe too much in Miami here. You know, that it was, it was a game between two pretty average teams and it came down to a couple of plays. This is the NFL. That's kind of how these games tend to go. Uh, you mentioned Justin Fields. We finally got to see a little bit of Fields in the evening, the Bears and the Rams. I had to tell you, here's how this game started. The Chicago Bears get the opening kickoff, a great kickoff return out, almost out to the 50. A couple of mm-hmm. plays later, Dave Montgomery cracks a long run. Suddenly, four plays in the game, Justin Fields coming out of the field. I did not expect that. I did not think Chicago would even get him out there very much. Takes a snap, makes a great pass. Third and one, we're down near, like inside the 10. And what does Chicago do? 
They take Justin Fields out. They put Andy Dalton in. In the mix-up, they get a false start. Then they burn a timeout. And then the very next play, Andy Dalton throws a pick in the end zone. The Rams get the ball back. Three plays later, 80 yards, touchdown, Van Jefferson. Game over for me. Like, that's that's the Bears in a nutshell is you put Fields on the field. He makes the pass. He looks great. It's third and a one in the red zone. This is when you want him on the field. This is exactly why you want your dual-threat quarterback out there to be able to make a play, excite your franchise, and then they went right back to the same stupid Dalton thing, and here we are, 34-14, and we just had to sit through another boring game while we waited for Chicago to lose. I mean, as a better, I like boring, and I and I think it's so <laughs> funny because I actually had to go to the bathroom to start the game. So when I came out of the bathroom, the first person I see is Justin, Justin Field, and I'm <laughs> scared to death. I'm like, I did not bet on this game. <laughs> To go against Justin Fields. I bet on this game. I lay eight with the Rams thinking that Andy Dalton's a, a statue and he's not going to be able to do anything with this Rams defense. And he actually impressed me. I mean, for I mean, when you look at Andy Dalton, he he wasn't as bad as I thought he would be. Um, I mean, when you look at his EPA per play, early pass, he had a positive EPA of 0.48. I mean, he had a success rate of 70% on early passes passing downs. So it's just, I came away from this game realizing that the defensive losses that the, the, the Rams had and free agency, it's really going to hurt them. And I, I think the Rams, the defense that we saw last year with Brandon Staley, this is not the same defense at all. I mean, yep. because the bears actually moved the ball down the field pretty often. It's just, they kept stalling out or they have the interception and they had multiple interceptions in in the Rams territory. They struggled on fourth down. They were 0 for 4. But besides that, I mean, this game was basically decided by the Rams explosive plays. And they had a they had a good four of them that went for touchdowns um, or put them in Chicago territory. So I think this is a Rams team that's gonna have to win with offense. I think I'm going to be playing a lot of their overs. I think Matthew Stafford, he played well, but he wasn't quite comfortable with the system. I mean, when you looked at that first half, it felt like they barely had the ball for certain points. And there were certain things that he struggled with. I know he had, he had, he had the bootleg and this is not something that he's, he's typically ran in Detroit, but he would run the bootleg, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't run. Like he wouldn't fake the run enough to where, you know, you still had the defensive players dropping in coverage. So I think he's going to get a little bit, he's going to get more acquainted as he gets more acquainted with the Sean McVay system. I think this offense is even going to be even better, but I, I, I have no trust in this defense. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. The defense was a bit worrisome. That was my only real takeaway from the game. I kind of mentally checked out after that early sequence. I was like, well, yeah, here we go. This is the bears. This is the Rams. Exactly what I knew was going to happen this game. And the final score looked like that's what happened. But the final score didn't really quite reflect, you know, how close the game was. The Bears kept moving the ball in the plus territory. The Rams defense, not impressive, especially the Bears were running all over them a lot. And yeah, I definitely didn't come away super confident in what the Rams did. But the entire NFC West is 1-0. We knew that division was going to be really tough. And it's looking like any loss you take is is losing ground in the division to somebody else that week, probably multiple somebody else's. So it's going to be tough. Stafford looked good with some of those big plays, but it does seem like it will take some time with them. 
let's switch gears and talk about Monday night football tonight, Monday night football, the Baltimore Ravens travel to Las Vegas. We get real NFL football with fans in Las Vegas for the first time ever where the Raiders will host. The Ravens are three and a half point favorites right now. The Raiders are plus 165 on the money line at BetMGM, and we are at 50.5 on the total. So what are you thinking as we go into this Monday night game, especially with what Baltimore has looked like uh, heading into the new season? I think, you know, I'm playing in this contest, right? And one of the football like consensus picks were the Raiders. And obviously the contest takes place in, in Las Vegas. And it made me think, you know, why is it this many people in the Raiders? And I think a lot of it has to do with, the injuries and running back that the, the, the Ravens have. I mean, I think people are tending to overrate those. And obviously you, you struggle, you lose Marcus Peters, but I think the Ravens are underrated in this spot. And I think this is a spot where we could see the Ravens go out there and have absolutely boat race this team. Now, obviously I think you're going to get a lot of people hype over the Raiders having their first home game in Vegas, but We've already seen that home foot advantage doesn't mean so much in the NFL anymore. So I'm leaning towards the, the Ravens in this matchup. I'm going to do a little bit more research. I'm going to you know, look at the market tomorrow, but I think I might find myself on Baltimore. Yeah, I'm really torn on this game because I'm always in on Baltimore. I love this version of the team. I love John Harbaugh. They're always tough on defense. They're always great on special teams. They run the ball. It is a team that when they face a team that's not good, which I don't think the Raiders are very good, usually they just boat race those kind of teams, like then run off the court or run off the field. And we've seen that, especially in week one. Here's the last four seasons, Baltimore week one. Last year, 38 to six win in week one. The year before, 59 to 10. Before that, 47 to three. Before that, 20 to zero. In four seasons, the last four years in a row, that's 164 points for the Ravens. 19 total for four opponents That's an average score of 41 to five. So that's terrifying because this Baltimore team comes out ready to go. But I just don't know if that's what the Ravens are this year. I'm very worried about this. We talked with Sun Friday. I'm worried about the running backs. You know, you want the, the Ravens, if they're going to play Ravens ball, to come and run it down their throat. And I don't even know who's running it down anyone's throat who who is on the team running the ball besides Lamar Jackson we don't really know he's going to play uh, Marcus Peters is a big loss Derek Carr is pretty good like Derek Carr is not awesome but he's got he's solid he's going to make some throws he's good enough to hurt a secondary that is suddenly weak unexpectedly and here's my problem I would be willing to say that maybe the Raiders you know take an early lead play to the crowd, and then, but the Ravens are just the better team and they come back. But what's the one thing that we're afraid of the Ravens doing? It's coming back. So if I think that the Raiders are going to come out and, you know, maybe play the first quarter or the first half and just nibble a little bit at that, if the Raiders take the lead, I don't like the Ravens playing from behind. I don't trust them. We saw Lamar Jackson last year on Monday Night Football. I don't know what he was doing in the locker room. The poop game. (laughs) <laughs> the, the poop game. Yeah. He came back from taking a, a poop. He comes in on fourth down and like he's straight cold. 
gets the completion and leads them to a win. So to say he's never come back from a game, look, he's he's facing a bad Raiders defense. I mean, this is not this is not Kansas City where you need to go out there and you have to score a minimum of 35 points in order to win. I mean, that's what Cleveland needed today. They they scored 29 points. They needed 35 points in order to win in that game. I mean, this is not this is not that. This is a Raiders team that is not good defensively. So, like you said, these these are the teams that Baltimore beats up on. <laughs> yeah, I do think what do you think about the the over under here? So, at 50 and a half, here's what I'm thinking on that is to me if I'm playing the Ravens, I like the over. If I'm playing the Raiders, I like the under because I think it's a bet on Baltimore's offense. If we think the offense is fine and they're going to run the ball and they're going to show up and do what they do, then the Raiders are going to score a bunch of points. They're going to cover and we're, and we're going to hit the over because the Raiders will get some backdoor points. You know, they'll, they'll score. Derek Carr will score some points. So if we like the Ravens, I think we like the over. I'm leaning toward the Raiders, the plus 165, just to give them a shot at the money line. You know, that's an under 40% implied odds of getting the victory. We've seen all the underdogs get the win this week. They're at home, home teams on Monday night. We know historically are awesome. I think that I, I might think about playing it with the under as well, because if I'm playing the Raiders, I'm playing the Ravens not to really show up offensively, not to get into their rhythm, you know, and score some points. So what do you think about the pairing of on either side of those? I could see an under just because, I mean, the Ravens are a team that's like the run. They, they, they run the ball. That's what they do. But I just, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like the pairing because I could see the Ravens winning this game 27-20. Actually, I mean, I, I could see them winning this game. That is the under, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I no, no, but that's them. right though. I said if the Ravens win that they hit the over. So so you're right. That that would work out. You know, it would it would bust my pairing that way. Yeah, so. I think I think the pairing is I think yeah. that's what I'm struggling with, actually. Yeah. Just because I, the Ravens they run the ball so much. Yeah, for me, it's I, I'm playing every game. I picked the Raiders on this one in my column already. So I think that if I'm gonna play the Raiders, what we saw today is where you played the underdog, you should uh, always nibble and you to play it a little bit on the money line as well. Uh, all but two of the underdogs that covered today won outright. So if you're going to think about playing the Raiders, the 165, I think it's worth a play, giving them a shot here. And especially too, I think there's a good chance with the home crowd that the Raiders do take an early lead. So if you like what you're seeing from the Ravens and the Raiders take a lead and you've got the money line, you've got a great head spot and you might be able to, you know, lock in a win either way. So I think that's my play. Do you have mm-hmm. a, a play that you're locking in for the, the this game at all? When I look at the Raiders, I'm actually looking ahead of this game. So we do a segment called the Hot Read, which is next, um, and I have a I have a I have a great play on the Raiders next week. If we want to get into that now, but I think for, as far as this game, I think if I had to play anything, I would play the Ravens just because I feel like they're being a little bit undervalued. I think the four points is a little low just from the baseline that I have these teams at coming into the year. I mean, obviously you want to downgrade the, the Ravens due to their, the, the running back losses and Marcus Peters, but I think Harbaugh is a great coach. And I think you can never understate that Lamar is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And this Ravens team, they, they've proven that they had a lot of depth. I mean, they did lose some pieces on the offensive line. Obviously they traded, they got rid of Orlando Brown, but I think that's what I would lean towards. 
Well, let's do it. Let's get into our hot read as we wrap up today. So each week on Sunday night, Monday morning for you, we are going to finish out our podcast by taking a look ahead at the following week's lines. They're already out there. You can already bet these lines and some of them you want to grab right away. We saw that today. If you grab the 49ers early in the week, you're covered. If you waited until Sunday, you didn't cover. Same thing with the Jets. If you got them early, you still got the cover. If you didn't, you were crying at your dollars lost on Sunday evening. So we're going to do the hot read. We're going to look ahead at the following week's lines. So we're looking at week two lines today. And we're each going to pick two that here's what we think. We like a side and we want to lock in at a key number before we think that this line maybe is going to shift the wrong direction and cost some value like it did with San Francisco and New York. So I know that you're thinking already about the Raiders in the hot read. So tell me about your hot read on the Raiders for week two. Okay, I like the Steelers minus six. The Raiders are playing a short week. They got to play on Monday night. They're going to have this emotional opening to their their stadium. And they're going to have stadium. They're going to have fans there for the first time. Guess where they have to play next week? They got to play Pittsburgh at a 9 a.m. West Coast game, 1 o'clock East, Eastern time. The Steelers are laying six. I think the Steelers go out there and completely take them into the deep waters and drown them. We've seen the Steelers. They have a great defense. I think the Steelers actually dominate that game. I want to get it before it gets to seven. And especially if they lose that game to the Ravens, I mean, this line is going to go up. So give me the Steelers. I mean, that's the first one on my mind. I just think it's a really bad spot. And then if you look at how they perform previously coming off Monday night games, I mean, this has just been, it's been a bad situation for them to play that on a short week, week nine, week one, they played the Broncos one 24, 16 next week. They lost to the chiefs 28 to 10. 2018 Raiders versus Rams lost 33 13 next week. They come back as favorites and lose to the Broncos 20 to 19. So I think this is a spot that I I like fading. So that's interesting because I am also going to fade a Monday night team next week, but I'm fading the other Monday night team. Baltimore is on our televisions. Again, Baltimore will be on Sunday night football next week, hosting the Kansas city chiefs. And right now, The Chiefs are at minus two and a half on the road. And I want that two and a half. Give me Patrick Mahomes at two and a half against pretty much anyone, but definitely give me Pat Mahomes against the Ravens. And I need to make some money on this game because I don't know how many, two, three times in a row now, every time that Kansas City plays Baltimore, I get excited because I'm like, hey, if you were going to build a team to beat Kansas City, wouldn't you build the Baltimore Ravens? Wouldn't you build a great secondary? Wouldn't you, you know, have a great run game, control the clock? And I get all excited and I bet the Ravens and it looks good for like a quarter. And then Wink Martindale just keeps on blitzing because <laughs> the only thing Baltimore knows how to do, they blitz and they blitz and they blitz. And guess what? Patrick Mahomes is pretty good against the blitz. And Mahomes lights up the defense. And we already know the run game is not going to be as strong. We already know the corners aren't as strong. At two and a half, I'm grabbing that now because I think the Ravens might lose tonight. And now you're definitely going to get that to three, three and a half, maybe even higher. Even if they don't lose, even if they look pretty good, we already expect them to look good against the Raiders. And uh, money, I think, is going to come in on the Chiefs and move that. I want to grab that while I'm getting Pat Mahomes under field goal in a regular season game. Give it to me every time. I don't care who you're playing. Definitely against the Ravens. I, I really like that one. I think it's an interesting thought because. I mean, the Browns basically played the perfect game. And we we spoke earlier about how they ran all over the Chiefs and they dominated and 
they were able to pass the ball. And I think that's something that the Ravens aren't going to do. What do you think about props on the Ravens to miss the playoffs, given the statistics and the history of teams who go 0-2 and, and how they struggle to make the playoffs? What are your thoughts on that? That is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I come in literally, you know, last week, I was feeling great about the Ravens. I had the Ravens as the AFC one seed and a possible Super Bowl team. And we knew that this opening stretch could be tricky. You know, Kansas City was going to be a tough matchup for them. But Pittsburgh is looking good. That's a little bit tougher than I expect in the division. Cleveland certainly looks good. The AFC is going to be tough. I don't know if I'm ready yet to say that Baltimore would miss the playoffs. I feel like it's still a pretty high floor team, especially with the defense, the special teams, John Harbaugh, just like there's so much there that I trust that I've, that I've grown to trust. Like this is a team that blows out the bad opponents, but it's certainly a big hole. If they, if they do lose Monday night and then they lose again, you know, it's a tough spot for them. I don't hate it. You, you, I, I never would have thought it until you asked, but you're making mm-hmm. me think about it. I might have to take a look and see what the line comes up as certainly after the chiefs game, not before, because that's kind of the point is seeing what happens with an Owen two team. It does seem like a pivotal spot. It seems like a team that we will probably have to come back to for our next hot read. If they do lose that game and see, you know, if it's time to go in on the Ravens while things are cheap or maybe time mm-hmm. to get out. Um, I'm going to do my other hot read because it's a team that I'm going to go in on and it's the other night game next week. I'm going to Monday night football. I'm grabbing the green Bay Packers. They're home against the Detroit lions right now Mm. is that 10 and a half. And I think that this line should have gotten in my, might still get to 13, 14. I wouldn't be shocked if it gets above 14. The lions were getting murdered today until that final six minutes. And we know the Packers are fine. The Packers are going to light up Detroit. That secondary is terrible. And if Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance are lighting you up, I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers will be just fine. Thank you. So Green Bay always crushes Detroit. It's a Monday night. The Packers are going to be focused because they just got embarrassed. They're going to come out and absolutely rule Detroit. I want it at 10 and a half. I want it at any other number before I start to lose some value. I guarantee you that line is getting bet up this week. And I want to grab the line while I can. I'm not mad at that one. I, I do think the, the Green Bay Packers bounce back. I mean, Rodgers didn't play in the preseason, so he didn't have the continu- continuity that he's used to. Obviously, they had two rookie starters on the road in Florida where he struggles, so I'm not too mad at that. I'm going to do my other hot read. I mean, this is one of the, the games that we talked about earlier, and you know, we were really excited about Los Angeles Chargers, Dallas Cowboys. I like the over 52. I think I mentioned this last week on the look ahead lines. I got to go back to the well again. I believe I mentioned I like the over 51 and a half. Obviously, it's moved a half a point. And I think it's going to continue to move because my model makes this game 55. I mean, yeah, I I don't I don't I think this is a, a good old fashioned shootout. I mean. We saw the Cowboys go out there and throw on early downs at will against against the Packers. I think they keep that up here. I mean, Justin Herbert, obviously, he went 14 at 18 on third down against a better pass rush than we'll see against the Dallas Cowboys. A lot of points. And and, and this is going to be a fun game. (laughs) I love that one. I, I don't play totals very often. I'm more of a sides guy. But I even earmarked that one as a possibility on mine. It's just like, oh boy, this one's gonna see some points. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it would not surprise me at all to just see like 38, 34, or you know, 41 to 31 or something. Like, we are going to see points. 
is going to be a fast game. Dallas plays fast and Herbert and Dak Prescott to me, I, you know, we all agree on who those top quarterbacks in the NFL are. Everyone knows Mahomes and Rogers and Brady. Those guys are right there in the next tier to me. And I'm, I'm excited to watch that one. And I'm excited for some points. So I like that one for sure. Make sure to grab these lines because they are going to move. They're going to you know, be increasing mm. during the week. You're going to miss some of those key numbers. That's what mm. the hot read is for. We're going to earn you some money on Monday morning. Well, we'll be the ones moving the lines when your money comes in and then everyone else can be crying to their dollars they lost when they lose out later in the week. So that is going to wrap it up today at the Action Network podcast. Make sure that you download the Action Network app. You can find all of our picks there and our articles. Please rate, subscribe, and review the podcast. Stucky and Raybon will be back on Thursday with their NFL betting guide and six-pack preview for the week. Raheem and I will be back Friday for a quick run through the slate. For Raheem Palmer, I'm Brandon Anderson, and this has been the Action Network Podcast. We are on to week two.